for region of men, although if you say it with a hard G like Ghent, then you're referring to a town in the Flemish region of Belgium. But gents, two gents, right? One gent born in Liverpool, England, one born in Bloemfontein, South Africa. Know who I'm talking about yet? Next clue. Both are known more by their names than by their given name. Their real first name, Richard, and the second gent, John. Both are capable of, know who I'm talking about yet? Both are capable of writing, one more capable of singing, the other is more capable of inventing a language. Two gents, know who I'm talking about yet? Both have children, three for one, four for another. The second gent was born on 7 July 1940. The first gent was born on 3 January 1892. Two gents, know One's alive, a little surprising. One's dead, not surprising at all. One was bitten by a spider, literally bitten by a spider as a child. Second one was kind of bitten by a bug. One's a veteran, one is not. Their most famous mates, the Beatles for one, the Inklings for the other. Come on, you got to get it now. You're killing me. Absolutely killing me. Maybe I shouldn't make a joke like that. Two gents, page 975. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Kind of ends the last couple weeks of what we've done, what Paul has talked about in this life in the Spirit kind of motif. If you want to sing the blues, you got to pay your dues. It Don't Come Easy, written by, come on, someone's got to know this, Ringo Starr, gent number one, Richard Markey, Richard Starkey actually is Ringo Starr's given name. It Don't Come Easy, right? To live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit? Paul simply sums up, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, which has this really interesting meaning. And it means this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Further amplified, if, if you read the Greek, okay, which Paul would have written this letter in the Greek, okay, the, the take is something like this, and it's really rich, and it's really beautiful, and it's just really, really thought-provoking. Ready for this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And if you really, really want to dig deep, if you really want to understand what Paul intends, if you want to really move beyond the casual, it takes on this sense. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You're like, John, you just repeated the same thing four times. Yes. Most of the Bible, it's not hard to understand. What's hard is to put it into practice. What Paul means is what Paul says. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. To know what it means and not put it into practice is to not know what it means. <laughs> It's kind of like if you've ever had a friend who says, well, I'm a non-practicing Catholic. <laughs> well, then you're not. 
I've had a friend who's like, well, I'm a non-practicing Jew. Well, then you're not. I have people who I know who are non-practicing Christians. Well, you're not. You're, you're, you're not. You can't be a non-practicing something and call yourself that something. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. A couple things about this. The more you do it, the more in tune you are. And, and yes, agree with Ringo, it don't come easy. Although I will say for me, personally, the older I get, the more quickly I realize when I'm out of step with the Spirit, when there's anxiety, when there's frustration, when there's pain, not in a sense of encountering a hard thing. And we've talked a little bit about this, right? Suffering for, for me and what I have personally done is different than suffering for the cause of Christ. Without question, there's suffering for the cause of Christ that is hard. But the promise of God is even in the suffering for Christ, even in the hard things of life. But when we're out of step with the Spirit and suffering because of that, it's kind of on us. And for me, the older I get, the more quickly I realize when I'm out of step with the Spirit. We do all things all sorts of things, and blame them on the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit will point to the work of Christ. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. That is the promise of Jesus Christ. It is the sum of the examples listed above. It's rejecting the flesh, verses 19 through 21. It's embracing the Spirit, which produces fruit. I view both lists as descriptive, perhaps not complete, perhaps not exhaustive, but certainly comprehensive. You could probably come up with one or two things that you would add to either of the lists, and that would work. But the lists cover the waterfront. Being in step with the Spirit and not being in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One of the things that the Spirit most frequently reminds me of is that I still need a Savior. And this week was no different. I tell you, I cannot do life as I am intended to do life on my own. And probably most days you'd be able to say, yep, John still needs a Savior. No indictment. No indictment. Most days, you'd be able to look at my life and say, yep, you still need the guidance of the Spirit in your life. You're not going to survive without the Spirit. No indictment. I can't do life on my own. Which really leads to the next verse, that the person who lives and attempts to keep in step with the Spirit can still have troubles. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Gent number two wrote this, spoken by Gandalf the Great. Deserves it. I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? 
then do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment, for even the very wise cannot see all ends. Gandalf the Grey, written by... Thank you! Praise Jesus! Whose first name was John. Paul says, you're, you're too eager. Because you, you offer the commandment to not become conceited, to not become provoking, to not envy. When you see a situation where you are all of those things. When you're too eager to judge others, when you're too eager to concede, too eager to provocation, too eager to envy, too eager to walk by the flesh, too eager to avoid or to reject, to not hear the whisper. At times, the call of the Spirit to follow Christ, the way of Christ, in essence, to live by the Spirit of keeping in step with the Spirit. It really goes to how do we view each other? I know how we view ourselves. We like to view ourselves as good people, right? And it's intriguing because the first part, Paul is, is talking more about the person, the individual, keeping in step with the Spirit, okay? The, the summary of rejecting works of the flesh to embrace the fruit of the Spirit, okay? But, it, but it's much more of a personal thing. It's much more of, a, of, of almost introspection, a self-evaluation. And, and here there's, there's almost a change, right? There, there's a movement from how the individual relates as an individual to how the individual relates in community, How do I view you? How do you view me? Love this article. Certain by Sarah Miller. Hate Gen X? Get in line behind a Gen Xer. <laughs> Unlike boomers, and I, fair enough, okay? I've been more than critical of boomers from this very stage. Somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, humor is funny because it's true. I was born in 1969, Sarah begins, I could say I was born in 1967 and have feelings about generations, okay? Then references some posts. I wrote to my millennial friend Sarah and asked her what she thought of baby boomers and Gen X. Sarah, who was 32, wrote back, boomers know they're lame, but Gen Xers are lame and they think they're cool. I was like, okay, people think, I could have written this article. Okay, people think, I, I think I'm cool, and I'm not cool. I know I'm not cool, right? I called up a few friends who are in their 50s and asked them if they knew that people hated Gen X. Okay, and Gen Xers are roughly born from, according to the Pew Research Study, 1965 to 1980, okay? If they knew that people hated Gen Xers now and how they felt about it, <laughs> this guy, this no one hates me more than I hate myself, was his typical response. So good luck making me feel bad about something that I'm used to. How do we view each other? How do you view me? How do I view you? How do you view someone that you disagree with? Are we eager to judge? 
Are we eager to say, oh, because of this one thing, this person belongs in this box? Are we eager to judge? Do we get conceited? Do we want to provoke one another? Oh, man, this is so easy for me to do. It's like Paul is writing this to my soul. I love to poke the bear. Love to poke the bear. I've poked the bear from this spot. Love to poke the bear. Love to jack with people. Now, in part, I want to challenge commonly held assumptions. But part of it, no, I like to provoke. How do I view you? How do you view me? Do we view each other as people who desperately need a Savior? If I disagree with you on anything, if you disagree with me on anything, can we get rid of the anything and just get to the point at which we say, no, I need a Savior You need a Savior. This last week, again, proved to me, I need a Savior. I can't do life on my own. Paul draws us to this point, right? To push our eagerness to the side, to push our conceit, our provocation, our envy, and embrace this notion of being alive in the Spirit. In a few moments, Eric is going to take the stage and provide thought and leadership, directing us to the authority of Jesus in our lives. That's what we do up here. We're not authority figures up here. We point to the authority figure, and that is Jesus his life, and the book that is written chiefly with his story in mind. Our authority is in Christ, and we are simply repeating, reminding what he said. In some ways, we join the work of the Spirit in doing this. Eric will take the stage and provide thought and leadership. Then there will be a a time of examine, a period of silence. You'll be invited to do business with God in the quietness of your own soul. Then there'll be a corporate prayer on the screen in which you can enter into verbally or silently. The words will find their basis in the greatest commandment according to Jesus that we should love God and love neighbor and love self. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. And then Eric will act as Jesus commanded in John 20, 23 and tell you about forgiveness of sin, this critical aspect of doing life. Forgiveness of sin. And that we can participate in the Lord's Supper. Mechanically, we invite you to please walk up aisles two and four, and then walk back down aisles one, three, and five. There are six stations today. As you come forward, you can either be served or you can self-serve. If you want to be served, hold out your hands like this and we'll put a piece of bread that's been dipped in the juice into your hand, the body and blood. 
If you wish to pick up your own place of bread, just put your hands at your side. As we enter into this, I want us to all acknowledge the importance of having our heart right before a holy God. Use the silence thoughtfully. Engage. Receive forgiveness. The band will build and vocals will enter and we'll end with this song entitled, His Mercy is More, which is a strong statement of our need, our commitment, our dependence on the Savior and His capacity to meet our needs because we all need a Savior. Please pray with me. Holy God, we come to you. Allow our hearts to be open to you. Let us embrace in your economy the gift of your Son and the forgiveness of sins and the understanding that we all need a Savior, that we are all invited to live by the Spirit, that we are all invited to walk with the Spirit. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.